So let's take the remainder of that passage back in Luke chapter 15 uh, and beginning our reading this time at verse 25. The younger son has come home. Uh, His father has thrown a great party for him. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Amen. Well, one of the uh, great privileges of being retired is that you can go to coffee shops as often as you like, whenever you like, and drink as much coffee as you like. And, uh, and I do. <laughs> at, at every opportunity. I love going to coffee shops. I love coffee. Particularly, I like a flat white. Should you need to know that. <laughs> um, I was in a coffee shop the other morning, <laughs> needless to say. And coffee shops are actually great places for zooming in on lost sons and daughters. Because I was sitting in this coffee shop, which shall remain nameless, but it's over uh, uh, Bloomfield or uh, Belmont Road direction. Um, and there was a, a girl came in, I would say she looked dressed like a, a business kind of person, probably in her, I don't know, early 30s. She was having coffee with an older man, it looked as if it was a business discussion. I don't know how, I don't know how their conversation, because I, I, my ears weren't flapping that much, there were just certain words that actually clicked just like that. I don't know how they were talking about church, but her words to the older man were, well, I used to go to church, but that's not for me now. And because I was stewing in the prodigal son all week, (laughs) this thought came into my mind. This is not a story in Luke 15 about a farming family problem 2,000 years ago in Palestine. This is a story which has 100% relevance to the 21st century in the city of Belfast. Totally. I used to go to church, but it's not really for me now. Now, I'm sure that girl didn't look as if she'd come from a pigsty or anything like that. But it's the same problem as the guy in this story had. So I just thought to myself, the parable of the lost son is buying up to date. When you get the parable of the prodigal son, you've got a picture up there. That background picture is your typical picture. That's where the story of the prodigal son begins and ends. In most uh, children's Bible story books, 
and in most sermons. But the first problem is, should it be called the prodigal son? The word prodigal is not in the Bible. It's in the subtitles. It's not in the Bible. It's not a biblical word. It means extravagant spending, reckless spending. That's what the word means because the younger son went away and he was reckless with his spending. But should we not be calling it the parable of the two lost sons? Because that's what we're going to find in the next few minutes. There was more than one lost son in this story. And this is actually the point that Jesus is trying to make. His major point is not the younger son. Let's have a look at this uh, for a few minutes. The first thing I I want you to observe is this. What I've simply called the main man, the first point, the main man in this story. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. It's in the first two verses. That's why I thought I should have, I needed to read them. Uh, This man says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were muttering. They weren't like the tax collectors and the sinners with their ears peeled to what Jesus was saying. These guys were muttering to themselves, grumbling. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. What kind of a guy is he? And that's the context of the parable of the prodigal son, the division in Jewish society. Those who were the untouchables, untouchables, and those who were the hyper-religious, the the, the rule keepers, those who had decided to go away from the things of Israel and the things that their parents had taught them and find themselves, that's the term they use nowadays, isn't it? Find themselves. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the rule keepers, Uh, Jesus told this parable to this kind of gathering. The tax collectors and the sinners riveted to what he was saying and the Pharisees sort of floating around the back of the crowd somewhere, giving off stink about it. Jesus told this parable to this gathering and those who were present uh, uh, amongst the, the, the Pharisees knew exactly what he was talking about. The younger son represented the untouchables and the elder son represented uh, the religious side of the fence, as it were, those who kept the rules meticulously. But the point is this, the thing I want to make, point number one is this, who is the father? This is a meaningless story if you don't get who the father is. Who is the father? And it's common to find the father identified as God the father. Let me ask you to put that. God the father is not mentioned here. God the father is not mentioned here. Put that away and and, and let's move on from there. While that is not wrong that, that, that the father represents God, it needs a little more detail and it needs more clarification. This story is about a father who welcomes sinners and eats with them. Does that sound familiar? Is that not the description that the Pharisees have given of Jesus? The father welcomes his sinful son home, and he sits down with him, and he gives a party for him. He gives him a ring to show his authority. He doesn't just make him a slave, a servant in in, in his fields. He brings him back into the family, just like Jesus just like Jesus. He is the one against whom the Pharisees are grumbling in verse 2. The main man in this passage is Jesus. 
We need to be clear. Jesus is God, but we need to be clear we're talking about God the Son. God the Son. And we need to remember that fact as we consider the parable. Jesus is the one who here is saying, I have come to find and to save the lost. And both groupings of people need to get this message. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this. We need to take a look at the pigsty plan. So in a sense, in your mind's eye, I don't know why you're in the drones or not, I'm not, but you, they hear about them all the time. We need to dispatch a virtual uh, drone to this far distant country and direct it as you can do from your living room, if you're so inclined, uh, and direct it to a farmer's field full of pigs. And there he is down there. He's sitting with his head and his hands like that. This young man, he seems more than a bit depressed. And he's surrounded by the pigs that he has to look after. Since he left his father's home, since he left the farm and went to a distant country, he's lost a lot of weight. His cheekbones are sticking out. His arms are skinnier than what they were when he was at home. And that's because he's he's run out of cash. He's run out of cash. That's the money which was his portion of his inheritance from his father's farm. That's the money for which he, uh, which he demanded at the embarrassment and hurt to his father. What we don't realize is that in order for him to get his inheritance, the father's wealth would have been in property. So the father publicly in the locality, in the village, if you've ever lived in the country, some of you guys come from the country, you know what this kind of thing does. He had to sell half his property to be able to give the son his inheritance. That meant the father was only half as wealthy as he was before the boy left. We need to bring these things out in detail. Now, the problem for the, for the young lad is this, that while the distant country was the, the brochure, you know, it's a bit like, I don't know, a holiday brochure, brochure for university or whatever, while the distant country turned out to be the brochure for living the life, the pigsty turned out to be the reality. Young folk need to bear that in mind. So now we need to look inside his mind. He has a lot to think about. The Bible says in verse 17, he came to his senses. That means he thought, I'm hungry, I'm dirty, I've no friends, all my friends, so-called, who were spending my money, they've all gone, and I'm sitting here, and I'm pathetic, and I need help. I need to get out of this. And so he develops his pigsty plan. And this was to go back home and apologize to his father, not to be reinstated as a son, but to become a slave, a servant, would have been a slave, to give up the far country, the, the distant country, and to exchange it for pure hard work in his father's fields, to leave the pigsty and to live in the servant's quarters. That's his pigsty plan. But it wasn't his father's plan. It was never in his father's mind should his son ever have come back. In fact, 
whenever the lad starts to approach home, you do get the impression that day after day, his father was out there on the veranda of the house, just scanning the horizon and wondering, will my lad ever come back again? And then one day he went out, and what does he see? His young son approaching. He sees him coming, and he does a most inappropriate thing. He's a senior man. He wouldn't be seen out running about the streets, running about the countryside with his robes hitched up. And that's just what he does. And he runs. He runs to meet his son. He makes the first move. Whatever you have heard about this parable, this lad has not been brought back to God yet. His decision in the pigsty wasn't the decision for salvation. That in itself was a selfish thing. I need to get out of this mess. I stink. I stink. The moment of salvation is just coming. His father runs towards him. The son doesn't even get much of a chance to actually make his apology properly. He certainly didn't get to to, uh, telling his father about the job description that, that, that he had worked out. The father hugs him tight, probably when he's still stinking of pig. And he calls for a new robe, sandals, a ring for his finger. Kill the fattened calf. We're going to have a party, he says to to the servants. The boy coming to his senses in verse 17 was not the point of repentance. He was still looking for himself, as they say, back then. That needs Jesus. That needed the Father to come running to him with his arms outstretched and to grab him and hug him tight and take him back into the family. And that's the way it is with salvation, isn't it? It needs Jesus to move first. It's the father figure who brings him home and into the family, to use the words of verse 27, safe and sound in his father's arms. And so it is with us folks, whatever you are this morning, whoever you are, we are only safe and sound when we're in the arms of Jesus, as the old hymn says. Coming to church doesn't do it. We'll come to this in a minute. Coming to church doesn't do it. Doing the holy things doesn't do it. Doesn't crack it at all. And whenever this passage is taught, as I said earlier, this is usually where it finishes. That's where it's left. The focus is almost exclusively on how the father freely receives his penitent younger son. And that's right. That's what happens. And that's good. That's good. It suits our situation in this coming week. Week of outreach. This building is surrounded by people just like that girl in that coffee shop. I used to go to church. It's not for me now. People who have never been to church, people who come from far distant lands to live around here, and they've never been to church. They don't know what it's all about. Surrounded by hundreds of people, adults with their children, who fit the bill of wayward sons and daughters. Not who have left church, but who have left God 
out of their thinking. And they need to be brought back to God's family. They'll never get there by themselves. And Jesus is the only way. The only way. And we do need to take this seriously. Very, very seriously. That's why we're having this week of outreach. That's why Young Life were doing their thing last week and some young folk were were converted uh, uh, during that ministry. But shockingly, and this is the bit you, you won't like, that's not what the story's about. It's in the story, but that's not why Jesus told it. Let's move forward a short time after the son's arrival. Um, and there we will find in the third place the party pooper. The party pooper Pharisees. And this party is important. This is nearly more important than what you have read thus far. You see, we so often are, are inclined to see the older brother as the one, actually, he did all right. And we almost sympathize with the arguments that he puts in the text there about never having had a party for him and his friends. And we think maybe there is something in it all. Actually, there isn't. Because this older son has an attitude of, what a good boy am I. He is good. He has done everything right sinless, as far as it's possible to be that way, as a mere human being. And he becomes furious, furiously angry, standing on his perfect moral obedience, slaving, the text says, for his father and never disobeying his orders. I am such a good boy. I am such a good boy, and I didn't get my reward. He is trying to say that he deserves a reward from his father just because of all his hard work and loyalty. So actually, what you're meant to see here is that the older son is just as lost in the home backyard as his brother was in the pig's eye. His was a religion of do-it-yourself, of self-salvation. There's a warning in here for all of us, for all of us. Our goodness or our attempts at goodness uh, can often be as much a barrier to God as those who are waywardly sinful. Strange, isn't it? Just by sitting in church every Sunday, I could be developing a barrier, an obstacle to being a child of God. This is not a parable for wayward sinners. We need to understand that. We've, we've conveniently cast it out there on the street for the lost sons. But this is not a parable for wayward sinners but for respectable, church-going, religious people who do their best to do everything the Bible asks for. This was the Pharisees. But they don't understand, and we've been singing about it this morning, they don't understand the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ 
All the law-keeping in the world is of no value if we do not know and experience the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's pictured, that grace is pictured for us in, in the father running out to receive his wayward son. They have lived close to the father. Jesus this is. But never had a relationship with them, either son, either son. And when the father pleads with this elder son to come to the celebration party, he gets angry. And he huffs. And if you like, he stays outside the party on the porch of the house. Spiritual party pooper. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were. They stayed out of the celebration. They had no joy in one sinner who comes to repentance. They were not citizens of heaven. All they can see is that this man, Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. And this man, Jesus, gives them this picture to show those religious types how their works, their merit, and their religion shows it up for what it is. What it is. And they're left standing on the porch outside the celebration. And so finally, thirdly, or fourthly, that takes us to, to the final point. We need to look where this parable is going. And we find the pleading parent, the father. The father pleads with the son to celebrate with him because his son who was lost is now found and is safe and sound. He and the son insists on being basically too good for the party. Too good for the party. He's too good for his father. He will not pull up a chair beside sinners like his brother. Therefore, he despises the one who welcomes the sinners. He despises his father. Jesus, or uh, uh, the picture of those who despise Jesus. So where does the parable go? The father makes his final appeal to the son. This is, if you like, the gospel appeal. Then the master told us, um, we're in the wrong passage, hold on. <clears throat> My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the gospel appeal. Come with the father to the great celebration. Come with Jesus to the great celebration. And what is the son's response? Well, actually, we have no idea. But disappointing, really, isn't it? It's a cliffhanger kind of thing. Jesus just stops. Just stops. Nothing more said about the elder son. Doesn't look good. So the parable ends. But actually, the story does continue. You've only got to read the rest of Luke's gospel and you see the rest of the story. Uh, Glenn 
Scrivener, don't know if you've read any of his books, you should do, he's a brilliant writer. Glenn Scrivener suggests in his daily readings on this parable uh, about what happened. Remember who the characters in the story represent. The younger son represents the sinners and tax collectors. The older son represents the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And the father represents Jesus who welcomes sinners and eats with them. Scrivener writes, allow me to write the parable's ending according to how events unfold in Luke. The father entreats the older son with open arms. The older son in blind fury picks up a shovel and bashes his old man to death. Am I being a heretic? No, because that's what happens in the gospel. That's what happened in reality all all those years ago. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they hated the grace of Jesus so much that it would go out to sinners and tax collectors and the scum of the earth that they conspired to kill Jesus. And by Luke 23 and verse 46, that's just what they had done. Crucified him to death. But that wasn't the end of the story either. Because he's risen. Death couldn't hold him. And he comes to us still in the gospel and by his spirit, his arms outstretched to welcome us as sinners and to eat with us. No other way, no other way, no other approach will do. We must come as sinners to be welcomed to eat with him. At the celebration which is the life of a believer in the kingdom of God and in the great celebration at the end of the age. The question for us is, and this is the question which this parable is meant to pose for us, are we older son churchgoers? John Piper another esteemed writer of our day, American, of course, says this parable presents a test for us. You see, we need to zoom in on what didn't happen with the older son so that he would not go into the celebration. We can't just say he huffed. His father, think about him, his father was ecstatic His father was excited. His father was overjoyed. He was rejoicing that a lost sinner, in this case, his youngest son, that this person should turn away from his sinful life and come home to the father. You see, the older son found absolutely no joy in this, no happiness. The father, it tells us in verse 20, was filled with compassion for him when he saw him coming towards him. Filled with compassion. And it was that compassion that drove him out on the, on the dusty roads of Palestine to meet his son and hug him tight. But the older son would only look down on his brother 
piously, with superiority. He didn't love what his father loved. Couldn't even see what his father saw. And this is the question. Do we love what Jesus loves? We were told at the wee prayer meeting this morning before church that a couple of, I think it was a couple of young folk had made professions of faith at the Young Life Week, past week. Does that excite you? <laughs> you don't look it. Does that excite you? Does that uh, fill you with a kind of joy in your heart? That more than one sinner has repented and come to believe in Jesus? Do you join in with the great rejoicing that there is in heaven? Well, that's what the father did in the story. What about this week? Young folk here and folk from Ravenhill. I'm going to be working with children every night and others during the day. I heard something about gardens. Uh, I could give you three gardens uh, that badly need some work done on them. Um, does that excite you? Does it? Uh, um, it should do. The opportunity to share Jesus. I was talking, I don't know why we got into it to Josh, uh, reminiscing, as you do when you get to my age, whenever I was much younger, uh, we used to run what we called coffee bar missions. I don't know why they ever stopped. They were amazing, absolutely amazing means of, of, of outreach. We did this in our church over at Beaver Park. And what I can remember about those is was the thrill I think even at my stage in life, I've, I've lost some of the thrill. You get worn out. But the thrill that there was. We used to have items to include in the program, but we didn't have a program. Someone sat at the side and decided as we went through it which items should come next to suit the mood of the moment. Josh said to me, that sounds pretty chaotic. No, it's not, it wasn't. It was thrilling. It was thrilling because you knew that you were sharing the good news of Jesus. And you would have done anything, went through anything to be able to be part of that privilege. So, are you excited? You got a thrill? Or have those two things, last week and this week, they just gone over your head? They're out there somewhere. And you're not thinking anything more about them. Well, John Piper says that says something about you, not about me. The son found no joy in this. The father was filled with compassion for his son, and the older son just looked down on him. You see that followers of Jesus, we're, we're finishing with this, followers of Jesus should be marked by a compassionate uh, tenderness. And we're not good at that in Northern Irish evangelicalism. A, a compassionate tenderness towards people who are running away from God, who are in rebellion against God. Younger son types trying to find themselves in all sorts of things. We should be running to them, telling them that they can enjoy life but they can do it far better through Jesus as a child of God. 
And when a sinner repents and comes home, we ought to be filled with delight, want to celebrate that our, we've been singing about this this morning, that our God shows mercy, He forgives, He restores the lost, including us. And maybe, maybe our problem is that we actually haven't experienced that yet. And we need to believe in Jesus. John Piper writes again, you can tell if you're a Pharisee by whether your heart is moving to woo and rescue sinners, even gross sinners, or whether you are disgusted at their behavior. Not interesting. How do we read? Lastly, just this. The late uh, Tim Keller, pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York, and a little commentary, actually, here it is. It's called the prodigal God, because actually there are three prodigals in this story. We haven't time, we haven't time to do the third one. It's God himself. Reckless, extra, extravagance of grace. I recommend that book. You get your hands on it. Uh, it's, it's well worth reading. It does a much better job on the parable of the lost sons than I do. But in this little book, uh, Keller writes, and with this I finish, Jesus' teaching consistently attracted the irreligious while offending the Bible-believing religious people of his day. That's where we've been in this passage. However, in the main, our churches do not have this effect. That can only mean one thing, Keller writes. If our churches do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, then we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus did. If our churches aren't appealing to the younger brothers in a far distant country, they must be more full of elder brothers than we'd like to think. Perhaps we ought to give that serious consideration. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this amazing, amazing and penetrating, incisive a parable story from Jesus. Lord, we accept that it isn't just for outside the walls of a building on the streets, that it is for right in here, in this building and with this gathering. Lord, help us not to be like the Pharisees and grumble and huff and choose to remain outside in some kind of religious porchway where the celebration is inside the building. Come to us by your word and your spirit. Change our hearts. Make us see. Help us to reflect Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.